This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Thank you for that, Brandon. So with that kind of foundation being laid, I want you to leave something here in Romans 1, but I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to start this sermon with a backdrop that I think is really important, and that's found actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So when you look at this, let's go to verse number 9 and follow along as I read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Today's message, I'll say right off the bat, is a tough one to preach. And maybe not for the reasons why you would think. I don't have any problem with unpacking the word of God, even when the word of God stands in stark contrast to the culture around us. I'm okay to land where God lands on truth, 100%. But there are several reasons that make it particularly difficult in our current culture and climate. One is that we are in a cultural war with the LGBTQ plus movement on one side and conservative Christianity on other side, and the lines are drawn, the battle is on, there is no quarter, there is no mercy, we're going at it, we're having this war. And that's very much the 
air that we breathe, it's the, the intensity that we feel around us. And when that's happening, there's very little room for balance. And any balance feels like capitulation to one side or the other. And as a shepherd, one of the things I wanna do is guide our church. And so when I try to guide in that balance of grace and truth, I'm probably gonna upset somebody somewhere along the way. Because either I'm gonna land on the, this is God's word and this is truth and here we stand. And some of you would love me to preach that hard and bold and no capitulation. And I will stand where God's word stands for sure. And there are some who would just rather us not preach this at all. Can't we just kind of skip over 1 Corinthians or Romans 1? We're preaching all the way through the book of Romans. But shouldn't we just kind of leave this for someone else or some other time or whatever? And how do I find the balance of grace and truth? And how do I guide to a balance? That's a tough thing to navigate. And I've been praying for God to help me thread that needle, to dance in that minefield, so to speak, all week long. The other reason why this is tough to preach is because not only do I want to guide as a shepherd, but I also want to care as a shepherd. And this is personal. Probably many of us have a friend, have someone in our life that we love who is a part of that movement in some way, shape, or form. And it's hard to know what to do and how to do it and how to navigate all of that. And I care for them and I care for you and, I, and because I care, I wanna help. But then there's this truth and I want you to think about this. Um, if you were here last week or if you listened to the uh, member um, chat, the family chat that we had, you, know, you heard that now we're probably all said and done a church of a little over 400 between two services and everyone that attends throughout a month. We're a little over 400 people at Redemption, and uh, there's no question that in a group of 400 people, we have people in our church who would have uh, same-sex desire, without question, but would never admit it, and would never be honest about it, and would never be real about it, because they don't feel safe to do so. I mean, guys can sit around in a mutual ministry and small group and they can say nowadays, it used to not be the case, but now we can say, yeah, uh, guys will say, I struggle with pornography and they'll be very open about it right there in small group and guys will come around and hug them and love them and help them fight that battle. And what used to be kind of, oh, we never mentioned that. Now it's, you know, we, we talk about it. It's great, we should. But we don't talk about this sin. You know, that's you and you struggle with that, you kind of feel like you're all alone and there's no way, because of the war, there's no way I could admit all of that. And that breaks my heart. I want this to be a place. In fact, how do you balance all of that out? Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter six again. And I want, you to, I want you to put yourself, if you can, let your imagination kind of put yourself in the church in Corinth when this was being read. So the church in Corinth was at largest 150 people, probably more like 40 or 50. So not a whole lot different than what we have right here in this service today. And, and as this was being read, 
in a city that was known for its sexual immorality, I want you to see what Paul says, how he balances these two things. Look at this, verse number nine. Or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. He's bold here. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of, of our Lord and of our God. And that's, that's, wow. I wanna be a church like that. I wanna be a church where the sexually immoral find Jesus where idolaters find Jesus, where adulterers, where men who practice homosexuality find Jesus, where thieves, where greedy, where drunkards, you get the idea. We should be a place where Christ is found. And we need God's help with all of that. So I'm gonna pray. God, I, um, I, I am desperate for this because I don't know how to guide a church to have the balance that we need of both truth and grace. So in desperation, I cry out to you that Redemption Bible Church be the place in Fort Wayne where people can be loved, they can be cared for, where their sin will not be excused, and we won't capitulate on what you clearly say, but where we find the loving grace for all of us who need it, because all of us do. And we have found it, and we are so thankful. So God, help us with all of that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go back to Romans chapter one. We are marching through the book of Romans, and here we are at what is a, a very controversial and very uh, difficult uh, text, difficult in terms of accepting what it says here, but it is the key text. If you're gonna ask the question, what does God believe about homosexuality? Where does God land on that topic? This is the text you would turn to to get a clear understanding of that. Uh, it tells us this is not a new issue. Uh, this issue has been around for a very long time. This is more than 2,000 years ago, and Paul's addressing it here in the church in, uh, in Rome, uh, and, and Paul would not be surprised as he looked around today and saw the state of the world as it is. Now, he might be shocked at how some people have tried to interpret this text. I wanna, first of all, talk about the interpretation. Whenever you come to a text of scripture, we have to properly interpret the text. There are rules that govern how we arrive at what the Bible says. There's proper exegesis, proper hermeneutic, proper interpretation. And so I wanna walk through that because what you will hear today with churches who are trying to both affirm homosexuality and still love the Bible, they have to try to find something to do with Romans chapter one. And so you have some miss or wrong interpretation. So let's talk about two of the key wrong interpretations uh, that we see in our world around us today, two of the key ones. Uh, the first one I would call a, a wayward heterosexual interpretation. Uh, the wayward heterosexual interpretation. So what's happened is some people have, uh, have really focused in on that phrase, 
against nature. You saw it in the text. What's against nature? And so they say, aha, here's what it's teaching. It's saying that if you were by nature born heterosexual, then you shouldn't practice homosexuality. And vice versa, I would assume, if you were by nature born homosexual, you shouldn't try heterosexual. Just stay in your lane. Do what you're created, what is natural to do. Well, the problem with that is that's not at all what that phrase, uh, according to nature, against nature, really means. It doesn't mean that at all. And there's really no way you can look at this text and come to that conclusion logically, especially when you exegete it properly, like we'll spend most of the day doing today. You come to a completely different understanding of that when you interpret it rightly. Uh, The second very common, and that one, by the way, it's going by the wayside. A lot of people aren't really holding to that one anymore because they found a new one, and the new one would be this. Okay, what it's talking about is what I'm entitling the pederasty uh, interpretation. And what we're saying here is that the text really doesn't mean men uh, with men. It really means men with boys, and it really means women with girls. It's not so much talking against homosexuality. It's talking against pedophilia. Well, several problems with that. One of the key problems is if Paul was trying to say that, he could have totally used the the Greek words to explain that very clearly. And he didn't. Where the text says women with women, it's the same word both times. Men with men, it's the same word both times. It really could be literally translated female with female and male with male. That's what's against here. Plus, the other thing I would say is this is not presenting a um, one putting their will on someone else. This is, seems to be a mutual exchanger of both parties. And so in that regard, it just, again, that doesn't really hold any water either uh, and, uh, exegetically. And so as we're looking at this, you can either believe what it says to believe or you can try to bend and mold it to mean something else. But if you're just coming to the text and you're saying, God, what are you trying to say? Well, you have to, you have, to have a proper exegesis. And so let's talk about not the wrong interpretations, but the right interpretation, the right interpretation. And sometimes we like to do this as preachers. We talk about it uh, in, in, in staff. We, we like to kind of go behind the curtain a little bit to kind of reveal a little bit of the framework that we use when we're exegeting a text. And so I'm gonna, we're gonna get a little deep today. Are you okay with that? We're going to study God's word, get a little deep. I'm going to throw a graph up here to kind of show you a table to kind of show you how to pick this text apart properly to come to the right conclusions. Because what we see in this text is pretty cool. You see kind of a three-step process that is unfolded three different times. A three-step process that happens three different times in the text. You probably notice God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. That's repeated three different times, and there are three steps that leads to that in the text. So uh, here's the three steps. You have, first of all, man's exchange. That's going to happen in the text three times. Three times in the text, it's going to say God gave them up. So you have God's abandonment. And then very interesting what you have in the text is the consequential punishment. Because they gave it up, because God said, have your way, then there's a consequential punishment for that. So let's uh, do this. We're going to unfold this now three different times going forward. They're going to show you these three occurrences of this pattern and learn from it to dive in and to ask, okay, what is this text trying to teach us? So 
First of all, let's take unfolding number one. And in unfolding number one, we're first of all gonna see the exchange happen. And that happens in verse number 23. Let your eyes fall on 22 and we'll lead into 23. 22 says, <clears throat> claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here it is, and exchanged <clears throat> the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So the exchange here is God's glory. We're giving that up for something else. We're exchanging it for the glory of created things, of images, really of our own making. We wanna exchange God's glory for our glory. We wanna give up and turn away from God's glory and we wanna really revel in our own glory. Now remember from last week, Church, who sees the glory of God in creation? Everyone does. All mankind. It's clearly plain to them. It's evident that there is a God and he is powerful and he is glorious. But we're gonna push that aside because we want our own glory. Now, um, I talk about God's glory a lot. Have you been in church before where I've mentioned the glory of God? Go ahead and raise your hand if you have. If you've been here for a long time, you're like, yeah, you talk about it all the time. Well, I do. Love you too, by the way. Uh, I do, but uh, I do because the text mentions it often. And these things need repeated often. Plus, we have new people all the time. And so these principles have to be repeated to keep everyone on the same page. So let me remind us a few things this morning. First of all, do you know, everyone created has a longing for something more and greater. The Bible calls it eternity in their hearts. And Ecclesiastes 3.11 reveals to us that God put eternity in our hearts. Everything, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Love that verse. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Have you noticed this? People want more, nothing satisfies. There's a deep longing all mankind have. That's for the glory of God. But men say, because they all see it. No, 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 not that. I don't want that. I don't want God's glory. I don't want my own glory. I want glories from the things that I've made. Do, do you know how valuable the glory of God is? It is beyond value. How valuable is our own glory? And if you get praise and adoration, you know that feels good for about uh, two seconds. It's kind of like this. Hey, um, anyone want to buy my $100 Monopoly money bill for a real $100 bill? Anyone want to make that exchange? I got my Monopoly money here. Anyone want to give me a real $100 bill for it? Of course, no way would I do that because one is worthless and one has value. Yep, God's glory is the same way. Our glory has no value. Our glory is that $100 paper Monopoly money. God's glory is worth far more than $100 real dollars. So we haven't exchanged the glory of God, man, the glory of God. We don't want that God. We want our own glory. There's an exchange that happens. Then comes the abandonment. And take a look at... Verse number 24 in the text.
Look at this. Therefore, God gave them up. That's a tragic phrase. God gave them up. And the text here, this verse, this first unfolding, you see exactly what he gave them up to. Look at this now. Therefore, God gave them up to, here it is, the lust of their hearts. Okay. Pastor, are you going to talk about hearts today too? Yeah, I am. We talk about the heart a lot here, don't we? Because, listen, we are people who act, do, say, feel, all of this as a result of where your heart is. Jesus said in Luke chapter six, a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Fruits and, fruits and trees, what are you talking about? And he says, making it plain, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you got a good root, you got good fruit. If you got bad root, you got bad fruit. We love to attack the fruit, the behavior. Let's change the fruit. Let's change the fruit. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this. Well, you're attacking the wrong thing. Get to the root. Get to the heart. What do you want? What do you desire? And by nature, sorry, Disney, by nature, we don't have good hearts, and we should never follow our heart. Can I get a witness? Okay, why? Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 says it clearly. Read it with me, please. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is not what you're taught today by the culture and by the world. It tells you to do what feels good. Live out the real you. Live for the true you. Do what you want. Live for you, baby. Live for you. Do what you want to do. And God's word would say you're following something that's deceitful and sick. Don't follow your own heart. We teach it here by a couple key phrases that we'll use, like we do what we do because we want what we want and remind us to change the behavior. We have to first change the heart. But I want you to see today, the text says, why would they exchange the glory of God for a lie? I mean, the glory of God for their own glory. Why would they do that? Well, heart desires. I want the pleasure. I want the fill in the blank. And then lastly, we have the punishment. This is now the end of verse number 24. This is the first unfolding of this. So we have the exchange. In verse number 23, the abandonment. In verse number 24, God gave them up to impurity. Here's the punishment now, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So what did God let them have? What did God let them do as a result of their desires to dishonor their bodies among themselves? themselves, okay? All that being there, uh, let's then take a look at this second unfolding. So there is the punishment. Now, we don't know yet what dishonoring their bodies means quite yet, so we're gonna hold off on diving deeper into that when we get there in the text, but let's watch now this second unfolding. The second thing happened, and this happens in verse number 25. You have the exchange again, starting in verse number 25, and here it says this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here's the exchange. I don't want God's truth. I'd rather have the lie. 
I know it's true, but I don't want it. Give me the lie instead because, listen now, the lie allows me to have my heart desire. The lie allows me to do what I wanna do. And so I'll take that lie. And you're like, that's kind of silly. Why would anyone wanna believe a lie over truth? Why would we do that? Uh, so last week was my um, 30 year high school reunion. And here's a picture of all my classmates. And uh, I didn't go, I was in Washington state, but I kind of followed vicariously online. You know, I was watching the pictures and all this and people were taking all kinds of pictures. And, and then there were comments underneath them. And there's one picture with a you know, bunch of people in it. And, and then someone commented underneath there, wow, you guys haven't changed since high school. Really though? <laughs> You've kind of changed a little bit, if I can be honest. I mean, you were 18, now you're 48. So probably you've changed some. I know that I've changed a little bit in the last 30 years. Yeah, I was 155 then. I am no longer 155. I can say that for sure. That's been a change. But boy, would I rather believe. Would I rather believe I haven't changed at all since high school. I'm still as skinny as I was then. Because <laughs> it feels good. And I love that affirmation. I love that adoration. What's another word for adoration? Starts with the word, ends with the ship. <laughs> love that. I love it. Why would I exchange the truth for a lie? Because my heart desires love the worship. You have the exchange. In the second unfolding, then verse 26, you have the abandonment. For this reason, why? Because of the worship exchange they made. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then you go on to see the punishment as a result. And this is where it's pretty clear that this is indeed punishment. I'll get there at the end of this text, but I want you to take a look at where this goes. So you see again, dishonorable lusts or, or the dishonoring of their bodies. Now you have dishonorable passions. So this is dishonoring. Whatever's coming next is dishonoring, but it's very specific here and check this out. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men. And here it is, receiving in their themselves a due penalty of their reward. Follow this all the way back to verse number 18. We see the wrath of God is revealed and certainly the wrath is hell, eternity coming, but, but there is a wrath that is being revealed, a wrath that God is allowing. And what is that? Well, it's the penalty due their actions and that is the sexual immorality. The sexual immorality is the punishment. Because we know what comes with sexual immorality of all kinds, be it homosexual or heterosexual. With sexual immorality comes disease and suffering and difficulty and hardship. God's definition of safe sex, by the way, is one man with one woman for one life. Anything outside of that is outside of God's boundaries. That's the punishment. 
And look at the words the text uses. It's hard to work around those words. Contrary to nature. I hope that makes sense to you, but let me just put it really simply. Men cannot get men pregnant, nor can a woman get a woman pregnant. And so if you want to fulfill the command of God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, going back to Genesis a little bit, that has to happen with a heterosexual relationship and a committed one in marriage. But it goes on to get even more specific about how God feels about these things. He calls it shameless acts in verse number 27. And that there is a penalty due for their error. This is not the opinion of Jamie Hart. This is the very word of God. The last unfolding happens pretty quickly in verse number 28. It is worded a little differently in the exchange part of it, but when you look at it carefully, especially comparing it to the others, you'll see it. This is verse number 28, which says, and since they did not fit to acknowledge God. Okay, that's the exchange in this text and this unfolding. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God. Okay, so God is there. We know it. We see him clearly. It's clearly perceived. We're not gonna acknowledge him. We're gonna, we're gonna take the spotlight off of God so that we can put the spotlight on us. That's the idea. There's the exchange. Then you have the abandonment. God gave them up. And then here's the punishment to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. I hope that's really, really clear. And so if you wanna like, okay, what is the proper interpretation of this text? If we're gonna come and say, let's study this text, let's get God's heart on this topic What's the proper interpretation? Well, here it is. Uh, mankind exchanged the worship of God for self-worship because they wanted to engage in sex, homosexual sin, which is contrary to God's design. As an act of punishment, God gave them up to homosexuality as a consequence, and as a consequence, mankind has suffered. That's a one or a few sentence phrase to summarize what the text actually teaches. And I get it. It is not at all what the world is saying today. And some here may be shocked that we would even put a phrase like that on the screen at Redemption Bible Church. But the reality is the text says it. I'm just unpacking the word of God like I do with every other text of scripture in any other given Sunday morning. when churches, when people try to force and say that, oh, you can be gay and you can be a Christian and it's okay to be both, I would just say to you, God's word does not put its approval on homosexuality. It's just that clear. But now I need to say this. I hope that what that does to you is not bolster up or put ammo in your belt for the war that we're at in right now. I hope what that does to you is break your heart. It is not loving to let people experience the punishment. It's loving to help rescue them from that. 
But something else I want you to know. Yes, it's homosexual sin, but it's not just homosexual sin. In fact, look at where the text goes next. We've made our way all the way down to verse number 28. Now, check this out and take a look at verse number 29. They were filled. By the way, they, who's they? They is going all the way back to verse number 18, which is talking about all mankind. Everybody, everybody. That includes us. Say, us too. Okay. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They, church said we, say we, are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. We, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, just in case you think you're escaping all of this. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval for those who practice them. Look, yeah, it's true for homosexuality. It's true for all sin, all sin. So let's focus for a bit on not just the interpretation, but let's talk about the implications for you and I. How does this apply to us? I think considering the pattern of the grammar in this text that leads us to kind of three key implications that we need to know and we need to own today. And here are those three key implications. Implication number one, our desires lead us to exchange God's ways for our ways. Listen, our wicked heart desires lead us to exchange God's ways for our ways. Implication number two, God gives us up to do what ought not to be done. And implication number three, the consequences of those sinful actions are a part, I should say, of God's punishment. The consequences of those sinful actions are a part of God's punishment. This is the wrath revealed. So let me get real specific. Talked about pornography earlier. Let's talk about pornography. And this poor guy, I just Googled guy with computer and he came up. He's probably on Excel right now and we're just totally throwing him under the bus. But regardless, um, pornography. God says, flee sexual immorality. Church, what does God say to do? Flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Mankind says, no, 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 I need to view sexual immorality for my pleasure. So I'm gonna exchange God's ways for my ways because I desire the pleasure. Exchange. Abandonment. God says, okay, go ahead. He could stop it. He could shut the power down in that moment have a lightning bolt strike your computer, but he allows it. And as a consequence, marriages are hurt. The mind is impacted. Do the study on what pornography does to the mind. And there is some scary medical things that occur with the regular viewing of pornography. 
you hurt yourself, you hurt your marriage, you hurt life. Men have lost their jobs, they've lost everything, their kids, all of that. Dude, and that's just a part of the consequences of this sin. Okay, I don't struggle with pornography, Pastor. Okay, let's do this one. How about tearing someone down out of anger? How about ripping into somebody because you're mad? Right? You've, you've done it. You've made me mad. Now you're an idiot. You're stupid. You're a moron. You should never do that again. Why are you so stupid or whatever? And that tirade happens. And, and you know what, what God's word says about that? You have to see it. Go to Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four. And I want you to look at Ephesians four and let's look at verse number 29, Ephesians four twenty-nine. What a beautiful text this is and how instructional it is to us. Ephesians four twenty-nine. I tried to quote it by memory and I forgot that I had the New King James Version memorized this morning. <laughs> confused the first service, but they're easily confused. You guys are much smarter. Let's go to uh, verse number 29. See, I just disobeyed the scripture. Let no corrupting talk come, that was an illustration. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Did you see that? We should never use words that tear down. Is it ever okay to tear someone down with our words, church? No. God's, way, God's word says, no corrupting word, build each other up. We say they deserve it. <laughs> They're gonna hear it now. They're gonna get it. And we tear down with our words. As a consequence, the punishment, relationships are hindered, people are greatly hurt. Tell me you don't believe the sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. Tell me you don't believe that. Words hurt. And some of us are like really oversensitive to that sort of thing. You pray for Courtney, all right? Because she's, she's got a really sensitive husband when it comes to word. Like this morning I said, hey, does this look okay? Yeah, it looks fine. Fine. Fine? You're supposed to say, what? Did angels come and dress you this morning? Honey, you look amazing. Prince Charming wouldn't look as good as you in that outfit. I mean, that's what I, you know, that's gonna, words though are important and your words can tear someone down. And, and what we're supposed to do is grace, 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 grace. Okay. Are you seeing this? It's not just homosexuality. This is the reality for all of us and all of our sin. We exchange. God allows it. We suffer. So then where does that lead us? Well, I hope it leads you to here. The intercession. The interpretation, this is what the text says. The implication, this is what it means. And here's the intercession. As I was studying this text this week, I am... Um, was just deeply convicted myself. It's when you stop and think about how often you follow this pattern, ugh, it is like, wow, God is so long suffering and so gracious. And, and, and to see what 
could happen had God allowed all of the consequences. Sometimes he holds us back from some of those. But what would happen if God would allow all of those to take place? Where would I be if that were the case? Well, uh, it, it made me pray this. It made me come to God and say to him, God, please don't give me what I want. Keep me from my own wicked heart desires. God, please don't give me up to my lusts. And then it moved me to pray this. Change my heart desires. Move me from what I want to what I should want. God, change me at a deep heart level, please. What's awesome is I was, I was thinking about that and praying that, and I recall just a couple of weeks ago when Ethan was, was preaching, uh, he, he alluded to Psalm 37, and Psalm 37, uh, the Bible says, how to change your heart desires. You know this? How do you change your heart desires? You ever want that? Like, I don't wanna want this anymore. God, change my heart desires. Well, how do we do that? The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What we do is we just delight ourselves in God. It's such a good homework assignment for you. Delight yourself in God this week. This morning I was preparing for the message again and going over my notes again and I'm just sitting in, in, my, in the library at home and uh, I have a delicious cup of coffee. All God's people said, amen, and a delicious cup of coffee and I'm looking out. We have this tree right outside our front window that's in full blossom right now. It's, I don't know what kind of tree it is. We've got these beautiful big white flowers and the sun was rising and just what delighting in God means is saying, God, you've given me a delicious coffee. And all God's people said, you've given me delicious coffee. You've given me this beautiful tree to observe your creation. You've given me this sunrise. To, 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 and, and your mercies are new. Your word says you've given me your word. You've given me, and you're so good. And I love you. And you're and, and all day long, noticing the goodness of God, seeing his grace in creation, giving him the praise, enjoying and delighting in God. And then your desires begin to change. You begin to want what God wants. You begin to desire like God would have you to desire. And that's really the answer in all of this. And all that's possible because I was something but Jesus. Or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, and such were some of you. Here's the verse on the screen. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So what we're gonna do as a closing today is we are going to set our minds back on the cross, back on his goodness as we observe communion together. So can I get uh, the elders that I have here? So Craig, would you come? Blake, I'll take your help. Thank you, Blake's a deacon. He can help me in this, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, Brendan, appreciate your help. You're there, Rob. Would you give us a hand too, please? Yeah, and we're just gonna hand this out. And um, um, go ahead and start passing them out right now, guys. I appreciate that. What I want you to do is really to think about right now you, your walk, your life, your heart. And God has given us this opportunity now to just 
reflect on what the cross means to you personally. I want you to think about what you were before you were saved. I want you to think about even after you're saved, what God, the changes God has brought about in your life. And I want you to acknowledge and remember it's only true because there was a body broken and there was blood that was shed. I want you to remember his grace this morning for you. Then I want you to pray that just as you found Christ and were washed and were sanctified and were justified, just as you have found that, that our church would be a place where all kinds of people would find the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, that all kinds of people would find the washing that comes through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that they too could find a place to be washed and sanctified and justified. I just want to say a word to those who would struggle with same-sex attraction and to say you are not alone. And though there may not be a lot of people here who struggle with that sin in particular, maybe there are. But all of us have exchanged God's truth for a lie. All of us have experienced God letting us have our own sinful desires. All of us have suffered as a result, so we are with you, and this is a place that you can be safe. To come and admit your struggle and to find people who will love you, a place where you can be fully known and fully loved. Let us all take a moment of reflection and prayer. As I sit and contemplate my own sinfulness, it's a, it can be discouraging and hard. And I hate my sin. I hate how it's won in my heart too often. But I'm reminded this morning of a truth that was revealed long ago. This is Psalm 103 written by David long before Christ even came. But it reveals what's possible. Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not 
all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Verse number eight says, the Lord is gracious, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He remembers our frame. He remembers that we are dust. All of that is possible because of a broken body and because of the shed blood. So church, let's take a moment and worship the broken body of Jesus Christ together. possible because he shed his blood. Let's worship him for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to pray, but don't quite get up yet. Let me pray. God, thank you for all your grace and all your goodness and all your love. I, I hope that, Father, I balanced to some degree at least grace and truth. Jesus showed you ultimate glory as he was full of grace and full of truth. And I want to strive to be the same. And I want our church to be a place that reflects that. Give us wisdom on how to do that better. And may we see many people of all kinds of struggles coming to the grace of Jesus. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen.